Hey, let's all stand together. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This next phrase is maybe one of my favorite in all of the scriptures. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Glory to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and there's no one like you. We don't even have words. God, we don't have words to describe your beauty, to describe how good you've been to us. And sometimes all we have, Lord, is a, a song or a step of obedience or perseverance or endurance in our faith when time is difficult to express to you how thankful we are and how deeply we love you. It is not lost on us this morning, God, that there are some struggling here today and we invite you, please, into this time. We all need a word. God, we all need you to speak to us. And we pray, as you are so faithful to do, that you would customize, customize a word for our hearts today so that, God, we would all be able to leave and say, God spoke to me today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat today. You know, uh, it, it is called a docu-series, and I know I, I talked about generations last Sunday, and um, so Gen Zs and millennials probably get the word docu-series, but for you Gen Xers and, uh, and the sleeper generation, maybe you don't get it. So let me describe it to you today. A docu-series is a television series that follows a particular person or group of people and their involvement in real events and situations over a period of time. So... During COVID-19, most likely you binged on a docu-series and you didn't even realize that it was a docu-series, like The Last Dance. How many of you watched The Last Dance? That's a docu-series. Anybody? Anybody watch The Last Dance? All right. I did. I did. I thought it was awesome. Uh, how about The Tiger King? Some of you are nervous right now. Like, you want to say out loud how much you enjoyed that, but you don't want everyone else to know that you've watched it for like the third time. You know, I love how the Bible has its own docu-series. It's called The Hall of Faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And, and they are, what's described to us in Hebrews chapter 11 are real people going through real life situations. In fact, there are 16 individuals that are presented to us by name and then there's a whole host of others that are included uh, without name. But their lives, I'm, I'm grateful for the honesty of God's word because their lives were not only filled with faith, they were also filled with struggle and trial. As you go through the different people, what you'll notice is that just like in a, a normal docu-series, we're, we're drawn to dysfunction, right? Just as human beings for some crazy reason. Well, there's plenty of dysfunction in Hebrews chapter 11. You have sibling rivalry, you have global catastrophe, 
You have direction from God without detail. You have homelessness, infertility, sacrifice, death, trauma, war. You have unfulfilled expectations. And while I know that this chapter has been called the Hall of Faith, it also could probably be accurately called the Hall of Pain because there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of pain that these individuals endured. You know, there are two things for sure that they have in common. Number one is the difficulty and adversity that they were willing to walk through. And the second thing is that they chose to put their trust and faith in God and in God's word. And I think that as we spend some time considering these different lives, uh, you're going to find yourself encouraged. Um, I've defined faith for you before. I want to share a different definition with you today. It's essentially the same thing, but this is Warren Wiersbe's version. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. That's what true Bible faith is. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. So in other words, listen, you know what God has said, and you believe that what he has said is going to come to pass even when you don't see it before your very eyes. It means that your faith, because remember, faith is a choice that you make. Your faith is not outcome-based. You're not deciding whether or not you're going to choose to trust God based on what you perceive the potential outcome to be. Hey, if it's good, I'll trust God. If it's not good, I'm not going to trust God. Or I really don't like these circumstances and situations, and so I'm not sure. I'm a little uneasy about resting my faith in the promises of God. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is knowing what God has promised and choosing, choosing to trust that He who promised is also able to perform. Do you believe that today? He who promised, he who promised is also able to perform. Now, I'm going to get to this in a minute. That's not, an, that's not always an easy thing to do. It's not always an easy thing to do. And I would say to you, none of us do that perfectly, even though there inevitably is somebody in the church who acts like they never struggle with doubt or they've never waffled with the promise of God, I will tell you that if someone's honestly, if someone's honest about their relationship with God, they will acknowledge there have been difficult times where they've been pressed to choose faith. Now, I want you to turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read a description of faith to you because that's what the author to these particular Christians does. He describes faith. And this is how he describes it. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Beautiful, biblical, Bible-inspired description of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Three words I just want to draw out today. Number one is substance. Maybe your translation says confidence. It's a very interesting word. It means to stand under. It means to support. It means foundation. That's what faith is. Faith is what, what, is, it's what undergirds you. It's what supports you. Faith is your foundation. Somebody once said, faith is to the Christian what a foundation is to a house. And so, hey, there may be beautiful 
elements and aspects to your home, like you got multiple rooms and you got uh, granite countertops and you've got an awesome entertainment system and it's two stories and it's you know beautiful on the outside with all this architectural design, but you know all of that is irrelevant if you don't have a solid foundation. In fact, if your foundation begins to fail, everything in the house is subject to failure as well. That's how critical your faith in God and his promises is. It is the substance from which we have confidence. It is the evidence of things not yet seen. Evidence can be defined as the conviction. I said this just a minute ago, but I'll say it again because it's good and it's worth saying twice. It is the conviction that what God has promised, he is able also to perform. It is the conviction. It is the belief. It is the steadfast attitude. It is the willingness to plant our flag, not just on the promises of, promises of God, but on the character of God, and to live with this determination that the one who made the promise is also the one who is not only able to perform it, but he is willing to. He wants to. This is the evidence. Look, when things have not been fulfilled, when promises have not come to pass, when the answer has not materialized, our faith is evidence that those things will, in fact, come to pass. I think this is one element of the Christian life that is so miraculous, that we can live in such a way that we have an unwavering confidence that God is going to do what he's promised to do before he actually does it. And this is important for you in your time of worship. Hey, it is easy for us to worship God after he does the miracle. But what about before? What about before? What about before the, the answer comes, the direction is giving, given, the healing comes to pass? Are we willing to worship God before he performs what he's promised? That's what real faith is. And the final word here uh, in the New King James Version is testimony. You'll notice the word good is in italics. That's added by the translators. The word testimony can also be translated witness. Um, and this particular word is not talking about our witness to God. It's talking about his witness to us. The elders obtained a good witness. Who did they obtain a good witness from? They obtained it from God. God showed himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts were loyal or faithful to him. God came through. So, so when we think about faith, we think about how it is the foundation, it is the substance, it is the support. Uh, we think about evidence that there is a strong conviction that before the answer comes that God is going to do it, even though we don't see it. And then there is the fulfillment, full circle of God evidencing his faithfulness on our behalf as he performs the promise. So I say all that and you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with these particular believers? Why was it so important for the issue of faith to be addressed by this author? And I just want to give you a little bit of um, background to this epistle, and it's important for your summer series. So the book is called Hebrews, and it's called Hebrews because there were a group of Jewish people who had believed that Yeshua, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. So they had, like in our vernacular, they had converted to Christianity. They had become disciples of Jesus. 
but there was a lot of difficulty. And it wasn't just that there was the normal circumstantial tribulation that they were enduring. There was also persecution. They were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And as things became more and more difficult, these individuals began to doubt the promises of God. They began to drift from their relationship with God, and they were on the precipice of departing from their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, they were kind of going through this process where it was like, man, this is really hard. It's difficult. It's costing us a lot. Maybe it would be better for us just to return to Judaism because that would solve some of the adversity that we're dealing with. And the, the author is concerned, right? There are all of these warning signs, kind of like if you're flying in an airplane and you know, you're the pilot and all of a sudden the, the lights start going off. The cabin's losing pressure, altitude is dropping, landing gear won't come down, like you know you have a problem, the plane's going to crash. Well, these individuals were spiritually crashing. Like I said, they had allowed doubt to metastasize like cancer in their heart, and they began to veer away ever so slightly, but increasingly to a place where they were on the precipice of departing from their faith. Now, that happens today. That happens today. For some of you who are savvy uh, in Christian circles, you know that the way it's being put today is deconstruction. That's the term that's being used for those who are systematically evaluating their faith and then choosing to dismantle their beliefs. There have been some very high-profile Christians who have left the faith. Some of them you're probably familiar with. And I want to say today that there is a there is a deconstruction that obviously is really bad. You know, when you go down the road of doubting and drifting and departing, obviously that is not the will of God for your life. And then on the other hand, I'm going to mention this later today, on the other hand, there is a deconstruction that can be healthy, evaluating what we believe and ensuring that it is in fact biblical. But I do think sometimes as Christians, it's hard for us. It's hard. We, we do Maybe not all of us, but sometimes there is that temptation to kind of present this facade that we don't ever struggle with doubt, you know, we don't ever waffle in our faith. And I just want to say today, this is the main point, that there is a healthy way to deal with doubt so that you are strengthened in your faith and not weakened. There is a healthy way to deal with doubt so that you are strengthened in your faith and not weakened. And I just want to draw from Hebrews chapter 12, three specific things that he ultimately encourages these struggling Christians with. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you kind of feel like maybe now's the time to throw the towel in. I do pray that you're encouraged by these three things. Number one is this. Number one is we need to understand the necessity of mutual support. We need to understand the necessity of mutual support. The way he says it in verse one is, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So he has just gone through in chapter 11, all of these different individuals who faithfully endured difficulty and did not depart from their faith in God, even though many of them did not see the promise of God material, materialize in their lifetime, they did when they got to heaven. 
And so he says to these believers, listen, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It is as if there's a heavenly stadium full of faithful believers who have endured the difficulty and have now received the promise. You know, I just, I want to be humble enough before you all to say, we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Inevitably, all of us will go through a time in our life where we struggle with doubt. But doubt does not have to destroy our faith. Doubt handled the right way can deepen your faith. I think about David in the Psalms, and you know that David was honest about his struggle. There were times where he was looking at the world around him, and he's like, really, God? Really? How is it that the wicked seem to prosper while the righteous seem to suffer? Look, don't you see that today? Don't you look around at the world and, and, and think, man, how is it? Like, do you know what the Word of God says? And sometimes there's that tension within us. It's hard to understand why things roll out the way they do. David was honest enough. How many of you have taken solace in the Psalms because David has expressed in the scriptures what you were feeling in your heart? And it's like, okay, well, David, David felt the same way. But you know, David always came back to one thing, and that was the faithfulness of God in his life. David acknowledged the, the difficulty. David acknowledged his doubt, but because he returned to God always, his faith was strengthened. I think about Abraham. You know, Abraham and Sarah were two people that received a promise from God that through their seed, all of the nations would be blessed, that there would be a, a multitude of people that would be uh, cr created through them that would become a nation. And you know, he waited. He waited. They waited a long time, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise. And there were times where Abraham was like, God, really? Like, what's up? You promised, but there's no, there's no materializing of this promise. And I'm just saying, God, the biological clock is ticking. Do I need to remind you? Like, there is a time horizon. There is a time horizon on this. And you know God took them beyond the time horizon. And he struggled with that. Listen, does anybody here struggle with God's timing a little bit, a little bit in your life? You know, it's like, God, I've been waiting for 25 minutes minutes. God, where is the fulfillment? Like, you know, for me, when, when I think of waiting, for me, my time frame is I want it done yesterday. I am maybe the most impatient person in this room right now. And God is always teaching me this lesson. Abraham learned because God waited. Abraham learned because God waited. Because God didn't bring it right away. You're waiting for a, you're waiting for I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but someone here is waiting for a spouse. <laughs> You're waiting for a spouse, and it's like, God, you know I'm 26 years old. I'm almost dead. <laughs> I'm almost dead. Like, how long do I have to wait? You are always in everybody else's wedding. And you're like, if one more person asks me to be in their wedding, I am going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. You just want to hang a sign on you that says, for weddings, at least not available. For dating, yes, available. <laughs> but you know, waiting is difficult. God, God stretches out the time, not so that doubt overcomes you, but that your faith will grow. You'll wrestle. You will wrestle with the Lord, and you'll be stronger because of it. Moses dealt with it. Esther dealt with it. Listen, the list is very long. 
And people need a safe place to be honest about their struggles. And I want to tell you where the safe place is. This has to be the safe place where we can be honest about the things we struggle with in our relationship with God. This has to be it. We have to be able to be honest with each other. We have to be able to not feel like we've got to roll into church and put on the plastic smile, you know, wear the, wear the veneer of spiritual perfection, acting like we have it all together when the reality is this, on the inside, we are falling apart. I don't want to be a part of a church where I feel like that's the case. I don't, neither do I want to walk into church and just constantly tell everybody about my problems, but I want to be able to be honest. I want to be able to know that the church that I go to is a place where I'm going to be encouraged, I'm going to be strengthened, I'm going to be lifted up, where I can be honest and not be judged, a place where there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right? I don't want to be like Nicodemus. I don't want you to be like Nicodemus who had to roll in at night because he was so ashamed to ask Jesus the question in the daytime. No, we need to be able to be honest. You never know what the person next to you is dealing with. You never know. Hey, you just worship together. The hands were raised and, and the songs were being sung, but you don't know if that person is dealing with the loss of a loved one. You don't know if that person just got a report from a doctor that's devastating news. You don't know if there's waywardness in their kids who've abandoned the faith or walked away. You don't know if there's deep marital struggles that they're, that they're dealing with. And so listen, when we come in here, we want God to speak to us, but we also want God to speak through us. Yes, it's God, give me a word, my heart is hungry, give me a word for me, but it's also God, give me a word for somebody else. Give, and you know what? God will do that. If you come into this place and you're open to being a vessel, God will give you a word of wisdom. God will give you a word of knowledge. God will tug your heart. And even though you're talking to somebody and everything sounds great, there's that gentle tug of the Holy Spirit that says, hey, ask them this question. Hey, put your hand on them and pray for them. And I want to encourage you, when the Spirit of God tugs you that way, don't say no. Don't resist Him. Because that word you bring may be the very word. They, they may have not heard anything that the pastor said, but it may be your word. It may be the word that God brings through you that is going to sustain them for the whole week. You know, there have been times in my life here in this church, and I know, you know, you, you see the pastors up here and you're like, man, they, they have it all together and they're, they're perfect. They never struggle. You know, they're never insecure. They never doubt the promises of God. I wish I could be like the pastors. And let me just tell you, the pastors are just like you, right? The pastors struggle with the same things that everybody else struggles with. There are for sure times where there's overwhelming sense of inadequacy. There are times where there is an inordinate focus on failure. There are times where there's, there's struggle believing that God is going to bring to pass what he's promised when we have stepped way out beyond ourselves and we are hanging there, sometimes hanging there, but still knowing that the almighty hand of God is underneath us. 
But, but pastors need that word too. And I just want to thank you guys because so often when I'm in that spot, God stirs one of you, stirs one of you to come and to share that word. Not the word of, hey, pastor, why did we pick this color? Not, 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 not necessarily, you know, look, we're open to your opinions, but, but I'm saying not, not necessarily, hey, pastor, well, what about this and what about that and why is it so loud and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can be so focused on things that just really don't bring the edification that God desires to bring through our lives. This is the stadium. This is the great cloud of witnesses. This is the place where we don't just acknowledge our successes, but we acknowledge our struggle. We talk to each other about the difficulty of living with mystery. There is a mystery in our relationship with God. I don't always know why God does what he does. I, I can't always answer the question, why? And you would be surprised how many people come to me and say, Pastor, why? Why? And I have to say to them, I don't know why. And they say, well, why did I come and see you in the first place <laughs> then, Mr. No Answer? And, and I say, because we're going to open the book. We're going to open the book. And you know, there's a mystery to our faith. And there are things we go through that will not be answered this side of heaven. But one thing I'll tell you, God has never let me down. And God will never let you down. Amen? Amen. So, so listen, point number one, understand the necessity of mutual support. Don't abandon the collective of God's people. This is the place your faith will be strengthened. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, alone is where we're picked off. There, all by our little self, our minds get scrambled, our souls turn cold and hard. This is why the author to this book earlier said in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Real quick, let me say Vegas is gathering back at 100%. And so unless you have some real legitimate reason to stay home and watch online, we want to encourage you, come back. Time, time to come back and worship the Lord among the collective of God's people. Hey, the second thing that I see in these scriptures as he's really navigating these people to learn from their doubt, but to grow in their faith is we need to have some honesty about the elephant in the room. The second is this, <laughs> we need to have some honesty about that guy. All right, I'll tell you what that guy is in a minute, but that guy right there, we don't even want to acknowledge that that guy exists. We want to ignore him, we want to sweep him under the rug, and all the while what we don't realize is that guy causes so much destruction. Like, I mean, it's just chaos. Wherever he is, there is chaos. And that guy represents our flesh. That guy represents our flesh. That guy represents the reality that there's a tendency within all of us to have an affection for the things of the world over an affection for the things of God. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We want to cohabitate with it. Uh, when we go through difficulty, we would prefer to ignore it and blame everybody else. But the reality is we need to acknowledge this and be honest about it. And he does by saying, let us lay aside every elephant. No, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So just solid counsel today from the scripture 
make sure you understand the importance of mutual support. The second thing is be honest about the proclivities or the affections of the flesh, that there are those desires within us that ultimately are destructive. They're destructive. And, and the truth is, sometimes our issue is self-inflicted because we make choices that tear us down spiritually instead of choices that build us up. Sometimes, let me just say it again, sometimes the issues that we're going through are in fact self-inflicted because we have chosen things that tear us down spiritually instead of choosing things that build us up. The, tr the truth is the origin of our struggle is not, is not inadequacy with God. The origin of our struggle is that our affections are lying somewhere else. I think it's easier for ourselves to lay the blame at somebody else's feet. It's our circumstances. It's this person. It's that God didn't come through the way that I thought that God would come through. And I'm not saying this is always the case, but sometimes the reality is this. We're ignoring the real problem, and that's that we've allowed weights in our lives. We've accommodated things that are hindering us from moving forward in our faith. Maybe even beyond that, we're, we're actually living into things that are defined in the Bible as sin. And both of those things, the author says, both of those things will be a hindrance to your relationship with God. You know, Rachel and I have been walking a lot. And uh, when I say a lot, I, I mean a lot. I'm not going to tell you how much because inevitably someone will come up and say, hey, pastor, that's not very much. You know, I walk and I don't want to be discouraged. So we walk a lot. And, and when, you know, when we walk, I'm not like, okay, let me think about how much, how, how much clothing I can put on. And maybe I'll get a backpack and fill a backpack with weights. And, and maybe I'll tie my shoelaces together and see if I can do these six miles with shoelaces tied together. No, that would just be stupid, right? That would be stupid because you want to make sure that you are as fleet of foot as possible when, when you're exercising. And so you're not adding encumbrances, you're reducing encumbrances. You're not causing yourself to be in a position where you might be ensnared so that you stumble. You want to make sure you've got, you know, your running or your walking shoes on and the shoelaces are tied tight because ultimately you want to be successful. And that's what the author is saying here. The author is giving a picture of the marathon race that was run 2,000 years ago. And let me tell you something, those runners, they removed all encumbrances. I don't know if you know this, but marathon runners 2,000 years ago actually ran naked. We have a picture for you this morning. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Some of you are not laughing right now. And I'm going on sabbatical, so I would encourage you to email Pastor Tony. Don't, uh, don't envision this right now, but, uh, but I'm just saying, like, the picture was clear to them. The picture was clear to them. I mean, they were, they were as lean and mean as they possibly could be. They had eliminated anything in their life because, listen, their goal was, was not just to finish the race, but to win the race. That was the goal. They didn't want to come up short. They didn't want to be ensnared and fall along the way. They wanted to complete the race that was set before them, and they wanted to, to run in, in such a way as to actually win the race. The same thing can be said spiritually for us. 
There are neutral issues or liberties that we have as Christians that sometimes can begin to hold us back. They can become encumbrances. It's not that they're just defined as sin in the Bible. They are permitted. They are allowed as your conscience permits, Romans chapter 13, 14, and 15. But if you're not careful, they can become such a focus in your life, they actually, those freedoms and liberties that are supposed to be a blessing can end up weighing you down. Sometimes we make choices to sin. And you know, we find ourselves ensnared in a web. Maybe that's you today. You know, you are a believer in Christ, but the old life has become, for some reason, appealing to you again. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you never had really an old life of sin. And growing up as a Christian, now you feel like you've missed out on something. Everyone talks about their personal testimony and how God pulled them up out of this pit of sin. And you're like, well, I don't really have a testimony. I need a testimony. So maybe I need to go sin so I can, so then God, right? Then God can help me out, pull me out of the pit, and then I'll be able to glorify him because I, I, have, I have this new story. And so it's like, maybe God wants me to sin. No, he does not. He does not, but I can't begin to tell you how many Christians who have grown up in Christian homes have this mindset that somehow they've missed out on something, that somehow, you know, the, the whole story has not been given to them. And I will just tell you that is the same lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden. It is the same lie. Has God really said? In other words, well, you know, God's not been telling you the whole truth. There is another side and God's been holding out and real fulfillment is over in that spot. No, real fulfillment is not over there. Death and destruction, dysfunction and chaos is over there. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says this, lay aside concerning your former conduct the old nature, which grows corrupt according to the de deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So thanks for being patient today. Understand the necessity of mutual support. Have some honesty about the elephant that's in the room. Do some self-evaluation. Ask God to search your heart. Final thing today is seek clarity concerning the way you see Jesus. Seek clarity concerning the way that you see Jesus. The way he says it here in verse 2 is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, let me say something, and, you know, if you weren't slightly offended, this might offend you today, so just thinking about you. <laughs> I think sometimes we Christians make a, a mess of the real Jesus. I think sometimes we as Christians can make a mess of the real Jesus. There are so many versions of Jesus that are presented by the church at large. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's almost like, will the real Jesus please stand up? You know, will the real Jesus please stand up? We've got the Calvary Chapel version. We've got the Baptist version. We've got the Presbyterian version. We've got the non-denomination version. We've got the North American version. We've got the South American version. We have all of these lenses all of these lenses that we have overlaid the biblical Jesus. And I think that the addition of those lenses in many ways have obscured who he really is. Now, I was thinking about this. I'm wrapping up with this, so stay tight with me on this, this last point. I was thinking about this and a movie came to mind. Uh, it's a really old movie. So Gen Zers, you probably have never seen this. Millennials, maybe. Um, Gen X for sure. 
Uh, but I was thinking about National Treasure. Anybody see National Treasure? Just curious. Oh, wow. Got some fans over here. That's awesome. I'll let Nick know. Okay. So there is a scene in the first movie where, you know, he pulls out the Declaration of Independence. He's got these little Benjamin Franklin goggles, these glasses, right, that Ben Franklin made. And they've got little lenses with different colors. You guys remember this? He puts on the glasses and he, he closes the lenses of different colors. And all of a sudden, as he's looking at the Declaration of Independence, this hidden writing pops out, right? There is this clarification of things that were otherwise unknown because he put these lenses on. And I think it's the exact opposite for us in the Christian world. I think it's the exact opposite for us in the Christian world. I think that we have lenses through which we see Jesus in a convoluted way. Sometimes in the church world, that means that we've emphasized one particular doctrine, and we are so focused on this particular doctrine that it has distracted our ability to even see the person of Christ. It's no longer about the gospel. It is about this doctrinal issue. Sometimes it's focusing on human effort. You know, we're really more interested in your work and your effort and what you can do you know, how you can be religious, how you can fix yourself morally, and through those efforts, somehow then you can be accepted by God. And you know, if, if that is the message of any church, you've totally lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus in all of that? Where is Jesus? It's like whenever somebody says it's the cross plus something else, you know you have a different gospel I think about how sometimes as, a, as churches, we exalt tradition and method and institution. I said this last week that we can become experts in the way the church operates and never even know Jesus. What a dangerous place to be. What a dangerous place to be, to be in this place where you're so familiar with church and yet you do not have a relationship with Christ that's going to lead to eternity and so you stand before God and you know you can lay out the statement of faith and the philosophies of an organization, but he will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Like the, the leadership of any given church has such a huge responsibility to be guiding people biblically. I think about how Sometimes there's a reductionism concerning the person of Christ. Reductionism, by that I just simply mean, you know, there is the hypostatic union concerning Jesus. Sounds complicated. Let me explain it to you. He is altogether fully and completely God. He is altogether fully and completely man. And sometimes from behind the pulpit, there's a reductionism where one of those aspects of Christ is reduced to the expense of the other. And so some churches may really overemphasize the deity of Jesus Christ at the expense of his humanity, and then other churches, and this is very popular today, may overemphasize his humanity at the expense of his deity, and in that you have a reductionism of his person. You don't have the real person of Christ. Sometimes I think Jesus is hijacked to be the icon over a cultural issue that we feel passionate about. So it's really not about the gospel and seeing people saved. It's about using Jesus and hijacking him as a person to be over 
the cultural issue that I'm so determined to let everybody in my society know about. Sometimes I think that um, we shape Jesus based on the latest fad. And I would just say to you, there's a deconstruction that's important for us to go through. We want to make sure that we are evaluating what we believe based on the Word of God. And we are pulling out any of those lenses that might give us a convoluted understanding of who Jesus is. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Hey, it is good for you to be taught by pastors. It is good for you to listen to podcasts where people are presenting the word of truth, but nothing replaces your own personal responsibility to know the word of God. Nothing does. Nothing does. Well, who is Jesus, pastor? Who is he? You tell me what our church believes. No, I, no, what do you believe? What do you believe? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, maybe you should read the Gospels. <laughs> maybe you should start there. Maybe you should make a list. Go through the Gospels and just start writing down those things that the Bible declares about the person of Christ. Build your own understanding of God's truth and then put your trust and faith in it and believe that he who promised is able also to perform. Jesus said this in Luke 24 and 27. He wrote to Emmaus, talking to uh, these, <clears throat> I like, the, I like the, the, uh, gulls, by the way, the seagulls there. You know, this is, this is not, they did not intend this to be like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There just happened to be three. But <clears throat> I just had an ADD moment. I apologize to you for that. <laughs> so he said, he's on the road to Emmaus, and, um, and beginning, the Bible says, that Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, what the, what's the last phrase? The things concerning himself. So he's in the Old Testament, and he's, he's in the law, and he's in the prophets. And what's he pulling out from the law and the prophets? All things concerning himself. It doesn't matter what book you're in in the Bible. It doesn't matter if it, you're in the law, if you're in the prophets, if you're in the writings, if you're in the gospels, if you're in the epistles or if you are in apocalyptic literature, what you're going to discover is Jesus Christ if, before you read, you are saying to God, God, reveal your son to me. God, reveal your son to me. This is why I'm reading the book. I'm not reading so that I can check another list off. I'm not writing my devotional that, that, so that I have this continued streak of devotion that I can be all excited about. No, God, I want to know who Jesus is. And so, Father, please reveal your son to me. The question that I'm pondering and that I'm going to take with me on this sabbatical is, Jesus, do we make it easy for people to see you? Do we make it easy? Do we make it easy for people to see you? Are you easily seen when the word is preached and taught? Are you easily seen when we have our corporate times of worship? Are you easily seen through our philosophy of congregational discipleship, are you easily seen through the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we treat our staff? Lord, at the end of the day, we want people to look to you and see you. You know, the word look, final points here, the word look means to keep thinking about without having, one, having one's attention distracted. I pray this for you over summer. I pray that you look to him in such a way that he has your full attention and that you are distracted by nothing because he is the author and finisher of your faith. The word archagos 
that we translate uh, into author can also be translated author, hero, captain, pioneer, founder, prince. That's who he is. He is your hero. He is your captain. He is the one that you're following. He is the founder of your faith. He is the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one and the only one that you worship. And he is the pioneer. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. And while Hebrews 11 is amazing with all of these characters, there is nothing like the person of Christ. He is your pioneer. He went to the cross and endured it and, and ascended to the right hand so that you could, through faith, endure the difficulty that God has allowed you to be in so that one day you will stand before the Father and all of his holy angels. Jesus will speak your name to all of them, and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, thank you so much today for your word. We are encouraged. Oh God, we are strengthened. We want to lay aside the weight and the sin. And so God, today we pray that through your spirit, you would convict us. We're not afraid of that because God, we know that you love us and you bring the conviction to draw us near, not to push us away. We know God today that there is a blessing that we have together as we've gathered collectively. And truly the desire of our hearts is that we would see Jesus with clarity. I pray this summer that you would show us those things that we've overlaid on top of Scripture that have obscured our vision of him. We just want to see him. Today, as we're closing in prayer, maybe today you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You've, you've come today, and it's good that you're here, but you know, honestly, you're not a Christian. You know Christians. You know people who, who are born again, who believe in Jesus and follow him, and, and you personally have never taken that step of faith. Today, God is calling you to come to him. He's brought you here. There's, it's not an accident that you're present today. God has been working in your life. God has been touching your heart. He's been speaking to you. That's why you've come. But he doesn't want you leaving this place without a personal relationship with him. And today you can have that. You can know God. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can experience the love of God in your life. You can know his life-transforming power. You can have the promise of everlasting life today if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that today is offered to you as a gift. Will you receive it? Will you trust in him? It's not about coming to church or understanding how church operates. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. Today, if this is you and you want to take that step of faith and trust in Jesus, you want to know his power and his love and forgiveness and his grace, you want that 
need within your heart to finally once and for all be satisfied. You want real purpose in your life. You want the promise of everlasting life. All these and more, he holds out to you if you will simply receive him in your heart. So today, if this is you, you would say, Pastor, you know, I, I want to put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. I need him in my life. And I want to know him and I want to walk with him. This morning, if this is you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Step of faith for you to take to receive Christ as your Savior. God bless you in the back on my right. Thank you for raising your hand. Anybody else? Stretch your hand up high. God loves you today. I see your hand right here. That's awesome. Thank you, young man. So cool. In the back in the center. Don't be... Awesome. Thank you. Don't be embarrassed today. Don't be ashamed to take this step of faith. You have a real need that God desires to meet. If there's anybody else, God bless you right here on my left. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Maybe somebody brought you to church today and awesome. Thank you over here on my right. Someone brought you to church today and, and you know, you, you came came without the Lord, you need to leave with the Lord. Let me pray for you this morning. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. I see your hand on my right. If you're a Christian today and, you know, maybe you've been struggling in your faith, you know, maybe there are some real challenging times that you've been going through, and, and just honestly today, it's not an issue of sin, it's just you're, you're going through it, and you need your strength, your faith fortified, you need your faith strengthened. Today, I want to encourage you to be honest about that and to receive the strength that God desires to bring to you. Would you raise your hand if this is you today? I want to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you. See your hands. See your hands. Thank you so much. God bless you. I really appreciate that honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe today you have been struggling with sin as a Christian, and you know that a choice needs to be made. You're not going to ignore the elephant in the room. You're going to deal with it today at the cross. Raise your hand this morning. down. Oh God, thank you so much for each of these souls. God, you love people. You love these people. God, you are working in their lives and there's no doubt in our hearts that you are going to fulfill what you promised as they step out in faith. And so God, grant them strength now to take the step that they need to take to receive what they need to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to uh, close our time today with some worship, but as Pastor Tony leads us in worship, um, I want to invite those of you who have raised your hands, I want to invite you to come forward today. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer, and it's good and important for people to pray for you and the needs that you have, but you need to pray. God wants a personal relationship with you through faith in His Son. Today, whatever it is that you're bearing in your heart, maybe for some of you it's the issue of salvation and you need to confess faith in Christ for the very first time. 
Maybe for some of you, you raise your hand because there's a, a real tension of faith and doubt in your life and you just need to be fortified by God. Maybe there's sin that needs to be laid down at the foot of the cross. Today, I want to lead you in a simple prayer, believing that as you take a step of faith, God is really going to minister to you personally and do the work that needs to be done. And so as Pastor Tony leads us in a song of worship, if you raise your hand, we want to invite you to stand up right now. Come on forward to the front, stand next to one of our follow-up leaders, and uh, just gather up down here so I can lead you in a very simple prayer. Make your way down. I know there were some young people that raised their hand. Uh, grab the hand of your parent and bring your parent down with you. I want to lead you in this prayer this morning. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, Breathe your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. your foe, still your love far from me, cause you have been so, so good to me, yes you have, oh, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves a 99. I couldn't earn it. Don't serve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I'm going to lead these in prayer today. I do just want to say to you, though, before I lead these in prayer, that if this feels like a really difficult decision for you to make, all that means is that you really need to make it. The harder it feels for you to make just simply means that the need is great in your life. And today, 
You need to take that step of faith. You need to trust in Christ. You need to come forward. When a ship is sinking, you don't just let the boat fill with water, right? You let out a distress call. So today, if this is you, stand up and come forward. Give us the opportunity to lead you in prayer. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me, Lord. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't turn out, coming after me. Yeah. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't turn out, coming after me. done. Thank you so much. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together. Stretch your arms out towards these. I'm going to lead you guys in a very simple prayer today. God loves you. He is looking for humble hearts of faith. That's what God takes. A broken and contrite spirit, God will not despise. He will not turn you away. He has been looking for this opportunity to do what he has desired to do in your life because he is a God of grace and he is a God of mercy. He is a God of hope. He's going to pour out hope into your lives. You will never be the same from this point forward because God will be faithful to answer the promises of his word. And so today, I want to lead all of you in a very simple prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. I'm going to lead you today in prayer, but this is your prayer to God, and I'd like to encourage you to pray this out loud after me. Oh God, thank you for loving me. And Father, today, I make my confession, my confession of faith in Jesus. Today, I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Today, I make my confession 
that I've sinned against you. But today I believe through faith in your son that I am forgiven, that I've been made new, that I am filled with your spirit, that I am your child, that I belong to you, and I will live with you forever. Oh God, thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Awesome, awesome.